Entertainment's podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Hello, I'm Rich Williams, host of the Payments Podcast, and today we're going to talk about highlights and takeaways from Cybos 2019, which this year was hosted in London. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Marcus Hughes, Head of Strategic Business Development at Bottomline Technologies. Welcome back, Marcus. Hello, and thanks for having me. Now, for anyone not familiar with Cybos, could you begin by describing the event, who it's for, and what it's all about? Well, for me, uh, Cybos is really the most important conference of the year for the transaction banking industry. It's hosted by SWIFT, uh, which is the largest global financial messaging network. And their secure messages exchanged on this uh, mission-critical network cover domestic, uh, cross-border payments, um, foreign exchange trading, securities processing, and of course, trade finance. Uh, And just to give you an idea of its scale, in total, these messages represent about $6 trillion of value every day. Uh, And Cybos is therefore really the the go-to place for the latest expert views on where the industry is heading. And this year's Cybos in London uh, attracted more than 11,000 professionals from banks, uh, fintech firms, and consultancies from all around the world. That's, That's a record in terms of attendees. Uh, And as always, it was a a highly enjoyable and informative event with really great networking. Thanks, Marcus. So what were the biggest topics for you this year? Um, Well, well, as usual, discussions uh, covered a wide range of topics, uh, payments, uh, compliance, data security, um, there were standards, securities processing, uh, modernizing trade finance, one of my favorites, and and of course, digital innovation. But for me, the most important topics were really uh, ISO 20022 and what do banks need to do about this imminent large-scale migration and how they're going to benefit from it. Um, Second was how a a major cross-border payments initiative called GPI is really helping to make payments faster, uh, more transparent and easier to trace. I guess um, third was the rise of real-time payments, which are being adopted now all around the world. Um, And finally, what are the new challenges and opportunities, really, in compliance and the fight against financial crime? Okay, plenty of big topics there to explore further. Could you tell us more specifically about ISO 20022, please? So this is a really important program, um, and it goes across multiple market infrastructures. The good news is that this message schema, known as ISO 20022, is now globally accepted as the best way to standardize and modernize all payments and financial messaging. So the adoption of a network independent standard will make interoperability so much easier. The bad news is that the migration from SWIFT MT-FIN to ISO 20022 is going to require intensive preparation and actually the deadline dates are already getting closer by the day. Well, one major obstacle is the difference between ISO and FIN messaging. The migrations mean that banks need to carry out a load of um, alignment work and even implement some temporary solutions, which they'll be using for a few years until this multi-phase migration is completed. It is a complex process, but ultimately it's going to lead to more flexible and detailed messaging, which is therefore significantly more useful for the whole industry. What challenges do you foresee with the migration to this standard? Well, systems are going to, be able, going to need to be able to process more data 
uh, and at faster speeds to cope with instant payments and messages. Uh, we need to remember that the ISO 20022 message contains substantially more data than, than legacy formats, in fact two or three times more data. Uh, during the transition period of coexistence, there's a, there's a major risk of data being truncated. Um, uh, the natural tendency for different flavours to emerge is also a challenge. Uh, by that I mean um, one market infrastructure will require certain fields to be populated, whereas another market infrastructure will require th these fields. So it's going to be very different. And, and some market structures will adopt a big bang approach to migration. That's a, a one-step migration. But others will undoubtedly choose a multi-step migration. So it's going to be highly challenging for banks to keep pace with all these nuances and variants. Um, and, and in summary, then, many banks will face large costly projects touching many parts of each bank and, it, and, and its systems. Um, I don't think it's really an exaggeration to say that the ISO 2022 migration could be the European payment industry's greatest challenge since the launch of the euro. Wow. And is there a scheduled timetable for this migration, Marcus? Yeah, um, and it's tight. So the plan is that by 2025, ISO 2022 will be adopted globally for all payment messaging. In the near term, major changes are being planned for several European payment market infrastructures. So the European Central Bank's Eurosystem and EBA Clearing are modernising their infrastructures by migrating Target 2 and Euro 1 from the legacy FIN MT message type to ISO 2022's MX standard. Um, as many listeners will know, Target 2 and Euro 1 are both systemically important high-value payment systems, uh, and the deadline for all this migration is November 2021, very soon. Uh, the US Fed Wire and CHIPS payment systems are going to be following close behind, with migration set for 2022 with the rest of the world following suit by 2025. What's more, the global financial community has decided to start migrating cross-border payments to ISO 2022 from November 2021. So the CBPR Plus Market Practice Group is defining ISO 2022 usage guidelines in preparation for this very ambitious migration. Uh, as early as 2023, we're expecting ISO 2022 will dominate high-value payments, covering 79% of volumes and 87% of values across the whole world. Uh, on this big subject of ISO 2022, it's, it's actually worth noting that some countries, such as China, India, Japan and Switzerland, have already made the move to ISO 2022 in recent years. So they've got a good head start and they're, they're, they're obviously benefiting from those changes. Well, there's a lot of dates there for our listeners to uh, take notice of. Marcus, what are the main advantages of ISO 2022 compared to more traditional MTFIN messages? Well, the, the, the switch to ISO 2022 or MX standards will, will allow payments to carry a great deal more structured data, as well as standardising payment formats that were previously inconsistent. So regulators love this, and they're pushing the move to ISO 2022 because it's going to make it easier for banks to comply with requirements for transaction screening and AML reporting. Another important advantage uh, is that ISO 2022 messaging is going to really increase efficiency. So this will result in lower cost and higher straight-through processing rates. Um, the increase in information provided in these messages can also be used to enable easier real-time tracking of payment messages 
uh, and, and it's also going to reduce the risk of errors as users will be able to include additional payment details and references which will help reconciliation. So MTFIN and ISO 20022 messages are going to coexist for four years until 2025. Um, in 2025, SWIFT support for the MT100, uh, 200 and 900 message types is going to end. At this stage, no end date has been set for securities messages, which are category MT500, uh, nor for the messages for trade finance, which is MT700 series. And to, the, to, to support this migration, SWIFT's going to offer a central translation service accessible via API. This is going to help format conversion between MT and ISO 20022. Um, most important, the service will also store any truncated data and the original message so available for investigation. At bottom line, we've already worked extensively with ISO 20022 formats. So for example, uh, SEPA transactions and the recent switch to ISO 20022 in Switzerland. And we're looking at ways to make this multi-phase transition easier for our customers around the world. Thanks, Marcus. So companies need to start planning and talking to the experts like bottom line, and certainly our customers should be doing that as well. Moving on to the next topic, could you explain some of the background of the SWIFT GPI and why it's so important, please? Yeah, this is a really hot topic at Cybos. Um, perhaps the most uh, important focus of the whole event, I would say. GPI stands for Global Payment Innovation. Although the industry really has universally adopted the acronym GPI, um, this initiative was launched only three years ago, and it's already enabling fast, traceable and transparent cross-border payments on a large scale. Um, its traction and success has really been pretty impressive, to the point that for me, GPI is probably the, the single most important initiative by SWIFT, I'd say in the last 15 years or so. The, the statistics are impressive. There's 600 banks live. Over 50% of SWIFT cross-border payment messages, which are known as MT103s, now go via GPI. That's more than $300 billion of value per day. And 40% and of those GPI messages have been credited to the beneficiary within just four minutes. That's not, bad. That's not bad at all compared to the two or three days that just a few years ago were, were the norm for, for SWIFT messages. Um, and 90% of GPI messages are now being settled the same day. So tremendous progress. This brings significant benefits to a, to a treasurer in terms of speed, reliability and predictability. So we can see an end to those old complaints that SWIFT cross-border payments are slow and opaque and inefficient. That's all very exciting. And how does bottom line fit into all of this? Well, we help our customer banks and corporates to access these benefits. So, for example, at bottom line, we're exploring an important enhancement to GPI as part of our cloud-based payments and cash management platform. This, this will be a, a multi-bank GPI solution based on GPI for Corporate's Pay and Trace service, which is also known as GC, G4C, another acronym. With a, with a few exceptions, uh, at present, multibank corporates can only access GPI via the e-banking platforms of their various uh, banks which are offering GPI. This means today they can only see information relating to each bank on its separate e-banking system. That's instead of all aggregated information being available on a consolidated basis via a multibank platform. So enabling corporates to access GPI via a multibank platform like Bottom Lines is going to make it easier for corporates uh, to benefit more fully from GPI in a multibank environment. Um, 
it'll be the corporate payment hub which applies a unique end-to-end -end transaction reference which is attached to the payment throughout its life cycle. And this makes it easier to track, to reconcile and to provide accurate reporting. This applies to all cross-border payments, whether they're in MTFIN or XML format during this transition that we've been talking about. Uh, and the Payment Hub's dashboard is going to allow users to track payments and, more importantly, to manage exceptions more easily without the need to raise queries with the banks, which can be slow and costly. And what else is planned for GPI? That's a good question, because the roadmap really is full of new value-added solutions. These new products will, will improve the speed and efficiency of payments. Just for example, SWIFT plans universal adoption of GPI by the end of 2020, so that all 11,000 banks on the SWIFT network will benefit from universal confirmations. That, that, that means, of course, that the, the sending bank will receive confirmation that funds have been credited to the beneficiary's account. Today, hundreds of banks are already providing this confirmation, but this will be extended to all banks, whether a bank is on GPI or not. And um, in addition, SWIFT have plans to, for a stop and recall service for payment instructions, which have already been released into the SWIFT network. There's also a new pre-validation scheme, which is going to enable banks to send and receive API calls over SWIFT, which will be used to check beneficiary information with the ultimate receiving bank. This information checking is performed before the payment is made, so the banks will then be able to, cor to quickly correct any errors and thereby uh, reduce delays and costs of payments that might get misdirected. Um, incorrect beneficiary information on payment instruments is responsible for over 50% of rejected cross-border payments. Such a mistake is really expensive in terms of chasing failed payments and it's time-consuming to correct. So the new pre-validation service will really improve straight-through processing rates. And this cross-border pre-validation service from SWIFT is, of course, a bit like the confirmation of payee solution being launched in the UK to reduce the risk of payments being sent to the wrong party. So it's a really exciting time in payments. So um, as we've seen, cross-border payments have become increasingly fast and in many cases settle within a few minutes. But between 2 and 5% of cross-border payments are subject to inquiries or investigations. Uh, th this results in a, a, in a delay in these problem payments being uh, settled. Um, and this delay is often due to compliance checks, but not always. I inquiry management is, is really costly and time-consuming for banks. According to SWIFT uh, research, this activity costs banks between 25 and 35 times more than normal payment processing itself. Uh, although it's only a small minority of the payments which are held up by errors or missing information, these exceptions are obviously frustrating and, and time-consuming and really expensive to resolve, both for banks and their consumers. So a new GPI case resolution service, which has been successfully piloted, is really going to make it faster and easier to manage these payment investigations. Marcus, you've already described many ways that GPI is helping banks and businesses to submit payments more efficiently. Are there any initiatives to make it easier and faster for banks or businesses to get paid? Yeah, and, and that's been a really big gap uh, historically. Um, as there's currently no standard cross-border collection instrument, e even though, of course, many countries have their own domestic instruments like uh, direct debits here in the UK. So in response to the, to the big demand for easier cross-border collections, SWIFT and their partners uh, are developing a cross-border request-to-pay instrument, 
Um, this cross-border model is similar to the request to pay instrument which Bottom Line is already testing and will be launching in the UK in a few months. Um, another way in which GPI will make accounts receivable more efficient is the inbound payments tracker service. This is going to give beneficiaries early, early notice, I should say, of, of, of a payment just being released into the SWIFT network. Um, this was really going to improve um, cash flow forecasting and it's going to make it easier to manage uh, all those reconciliation processes. Jumping back to payments again, um, and specifically cross-border real-time payments, is that something that's likely to happen anytime soon, as there are now so many domestic real-time payment schemes in place or being planned? Yeah, yeah, there's some really encouraging progress on that front too. Um, at last year's Cybos in, in Sydney, uh, which I really enjoyed, a fantastic venue for the event, um, SWIFT showed that real-time cross-border payments could be supported by directly connecting GPI, GPI um, with domestic real-time payment systems, in this case Australia's new payments platform. Um, settlement could be achieved in less than a minute from around the world. This work in instant payments has continued, for example, linking GPI with Singapore's real-time payment system, which is called FAST. Uh, these domestic real-time payment systems are running 24-7, which makes a big difference, of course. Uh, this means, of course, that a payment can reach a beneficiary in Singapore or Australia any time of the day or night without having to worry about local cut-off times. This is like the, the Real-Time Payments Express solution, which Bottom Line has developed with our partner bank, uh, Starling. Um, this means other banks around the world could make and receive real-time payments into the UK faster payment system without even needing to join the scheme. So really streamlining that process. So are global real-time payments becoming a reality now? And what's happening with real-time payments in Europe specifically? Yes, real-time payments is another major trend around the world. Uh, according to SWIFT, there are now 46 real-time payment initiatives that are live, and there are another 12 initiatives being planned or underway. Um, in Europe, there's, a, there's good progress on real-time payments. EBA clearing scheme called RT1 is, is really leading the way for adoption of real-time euro payments across Europe. Um, they were the first pan-European infrastructure to launch SEPA inst credit transfers at the end of 2017. And they already have a good reach to some 2,300 banks across Europe. And they're processing over 2 million transactions a week. So this is a, a very good start. But, but regarding the, the big question of when mass adoption is going to be achieved, it is worth remembering that in the UK, our faster payment service took 10 years to reach the now impressive levels of £1.7 trillion in value per year and 2 billion transactions in 2018. So we do need to be patient, I think. I also believe the, the proposed pan-European request to pay instrument is a really exciting initiative. And this does show great promise and could, in fact, uh, accelerate the usage of real-time payments across Europe, I believe. Um, another initiative, uh, in May this year, the European Central Bank launched, launched um, a, um, another uh, programme to extend the reach of instant cross-border payments by enabling GPI, GPI transactions to be settled via their TIPS system. So TIPS stands for Target Instant Payment Settlement Service, and it enables instant crediting of accounts at beneficiary banks all the way across Europe. And so far, 20 banks are participating in, the, in this trialling and so on. But it has great potential. Based on what you've said so far, this is a rapidly changing environment and industry that we're part of. What's Bottom Line's role in this, Marcus? 
So this progress in real-time payments is great news for bottom line. Um, since the approach being adopted in, in the European Union and in the US is similar to the UK's new access model, which was developed uh, several years ago to provide easy and cost-effective access to the UK faster payment service, bottom line was one of the first fintech firms to become accredited as an aggregator service provider. That's how we've enabled banks and non-bank institutions to obtain direct technical access to the faster payment central infrastructure. And this is this um, proven expertise positions us really well to help with other countries who are adopting real-time payments and using similar models. With all these real-time payment schemes planned or in place already, what trends are we seeing in relation to fraud, Marcus? And are we seeing that getting better or worse? Uh, yes, that's, um, that's really an important challenge. Payments are definitely becoming faster both domestic and cross-border payments, as we've seen. But banks do, of course, need to balance this market demand for faster payments with, all, with the regulatory requirement for proper controls on financial crime and risk management. One worrying aspect about the increasing adoption of real-time payments is that faster payments can also become faster problems. But by that I mean, with, with faster payments, there's a real-time uh, real risk of, of fraud. Hence, hence, control systems need to operate in real-time or else fraudulent payments will already have been released before the alert is raised. Um, with the increase in cyber fraud, it's really essential that banks and businesses up their game so they can ensure they have multiple layers of defence. This can help them keep ahead of the fraudsters. Obviously, security policies and procedures, as well as training, they're all vital for, for protecting an organisation against cyber fraud. But, but it's technology above all that has a key role to play. Um, so it's essential to encrypt data, uh, whether it's at rest uh, and data in transit. But it's not just the case of protecting customer data. It's also vital to do everything possible to detect and prevent fraudulent payments. So, so payment systems really must have a secure internal control framework, like secure access, segregation of duties, four eyes approval workflow, you know, full audit trail and multi-factor authentication. Another valuable technique is to deploy transaction and user behaviour monitoring. This helps to detect unusual activity, and this strategy really should form part of a bank's layered cyber defence. Uh, advanced analytics and profiling of user behaviour and transactions enables the system to understand normal transaction patterns and user behaviour. This data is then used as the basis for detecting abnormal and potentially fraudulent transactions in real time. Um, a, a powerful fraud analytics system combines rule-based detection with machine learning, which enhances the rules engine to reduce false positives. In this way, uh, machine learning kind of updates the system continuously. Today, a payment fraud prevention system must have the ability to flag suspicious transactions and block those potentially fraudulent payments in real time. That's because it's important that these suspicious transactions are stopped before they're released onto the payment uh, or messaging network. Was there any news this year on the growing adoption of APIs? Well, APIs are already well established as a secure means of communicating between systems, and they're, they're really widely used in many day-to-day -day business activities, such as aggregating information on hotel and travel booking websites and so on. But in recent years, APIs are having a really major impact on the financial services industry. So the, the growing adoption of APIs is, is driven by new regulations, such as open banking and PSD2. It's also um, uh, driven by the emergence of fintech firms, 
which are using um, cloud-based techniques to help systems communicate with each other. And really, it's the, the, the consumer or customer um, user experience and, and their preference for intuitive and, and fast systems, uh, which, which is really driving the uh, adoption of APIs in, in, in payments. But, but the industry's approach is fragmented. Uh, and worryingly, it's, it, this really risks introducing friction. Um, and unfortunately, this is in direct contradiction to the objective of using APIs to deliver a frictionless user experience and to connect innovative uh, new ecosystems. So when implementing open banking, the Competition and Markets Authority did recognize the importance of standardization and interoperability. So it required the, UK, the UK's nine top banks to collaborate and develop a common API. So this makes it easier for third-party providers to exchange data and bank account information and to initiate payments, always with the customer's permission, of course, uh, in order, and in order to deliver new services. Um, in practice, the APIs used by the CMA9 are not identical regarding procedure and content requirements, but, but in broad terms, they do have a common standard API. On the other hand, the European Commission has taken a completely different stance they, they felt that imposing a single common API standard was anti-competitive. So the European Commission left the technical details of PSD2's APIs completely open, encouraging market forces to define them. Um, unfortunately, this position really risks creating a fragmentation, uh, and a number of different consortia have been formed to develop their own APIs at a national or regional level. Um, probably a good example of this approach is the Berlin Group, which has about 40 banks and payment associations, and they've been defining a common API standard called uh, NextGen PSD2. But this is only one of several other initiatives that have been set up in Poland, Slovenia and France, for example. So, so ironically, I'd say the, the EU's decision not to impose a common API standard does actually risk creating unnecessary complexity to opening up bank data. This is because you know, different banks and countries across the European Union are adopting different API standards. And that in turn really puts at risk the PSD2's timeline and could ultimately impact the success or failure of this really ambitious undertaking. So, so other countries around the world who are adopting APIs and open banking principles, they face the same risk unless they opt for some common standards and start making sure this is coordinated globally. What's SWIFT's position regarding APIs, Marcus? Well, the financial services industry is definitely starting down a path towards an API-centric world. And SWIFT is, of course, adapting to this new normal of using APIs to exchange data. So they're developing an API ecosystem, which is going to make data consumption easier. They're planning to coordinate the development of API standards globally, not just for Europe. And as a second phase, SWIFT proposed to deliver an API platform for their bank customers, in other words, they're looking at becoming an API aggregator. The bottom line, I think we really welcome SWIFT's approach to API standardization, and they're, they're, they're very well positioned to coordinate the development of a, uh, open API standards. They've definitely got strong credentials for this kind of work, and they're already the registration authority for ISO 20022, and that, so they maintain the content and integrity of this uh, messaging format. So this is really a logical extension into APIs for SWIFT. As we come now towards the end of this podcast, what do banks and financial organisations need to prioritise going forwards? The first thing I'd say is that there's never been a period of such unprecedented change in the payments world with so many innovations and, and new regulations. 
for this reason, it's important, probably more important than ever, that banks work with trusted advisors who can help them develop a digital strategy and help them move forward faster and more cost-effectively. Cloud-based payment solutions have a really important role to play in this journey towards digitization. Um, I'd say open, instant and cyber are three key buzzwords to bear in mind. Open banking APIs, real-time payments and cyber security are all areas where banks need to focus and where they can upgrade their own operations and differentiate their customer propositions. So banks should make sure they have easy and secure access to the growing range of real-time payment systems uh, all around the world, as well as getting positioned to be proactive in open banking. Uh, adoption of cloud-based solutions is helping banks to manage their costs and insulate themselves from some of the complexity of the many changes going on in the marketplace. And this way they can also future-proof themselves. In the, in the exciting area of open banking, uh, it's really important that banks capitalise on this opportunity to develop account information services and payment initiation services, rather than just doing the minimum to comply with these new regulations. But the, but the key message is banks don't have to undertake these projects all on their own. There are, there are fintech firms out there with the expertise and the technology to help. Well, that was all very insightful. There's a lot to take on board, but of course, if you need assistance, you should reach out to the experts for some assistance there. And Marcus, thanks once again for joining us. Thank you, my pleasure. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. We'll be back with some new podcasts very soon. And in the meantime, you can listen to more episodes on all things payments at the touch of a button using your preferred provider. And we'll see you all next time. Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.